Welcome back to the SPSC podcast. In this episode, we will be hosting a roundtable discussion with our fellow students on President Biden's inauguration last Wednesday. With us today are my co-host Leo, Mitch, and Siobhan. Uh, Mitch and Siobhan, uh, would you mind just introducing yourselves again quickly? Hi, I'm Mitch Regino. I am a junior political science and economics double major here at Stonehill College. And hi, I'm Siobhan Dowsett. Um, I'm a senior political science major with a minor in sociology at Stonehill. Well, thank you both for being here. Uh, to start us off, I'll ask the general question, what did you all think of the president's address? I liked it a lot. Um, I was happy that even though it was definitely a message of unity, it wasn't unity, um, you know, in spite of racism and everything else, it was unity against all of the evils that we're facing in America right now. Um, so I really appreciated that he was definitely speaking to um, progressives, even though it was still in a bipartisan manner, um, basically saying that like, you know, I hear you, I see you, and we definitely need to change, so we're gonna have to work on it together. I agree, there's a lot of unity in the speech, but I also really, uh, really like how it kind of reckons back to when he was a senator and he really uh, preaches bipartisanship and working with um, both parties and he uh, wants to be a president for all of Americans, not just those who voted for him. And I think that that's an extremely important message in our very, very uh, divided times to get across to everyone. Yeah, I, th I thought it was a pretty good speech. Um, definitely one of the best I've heard in a while. And, you know, it was very inspirational, which is something kind of strange to hear coming from the White House um, after four years of Donald Trump, which, who is a controversial figure, no matter how uh, you see it. And, you know, I want I don't want to say it's like a, uh, instant like turn in American politics, but it's definitely on the on like a gradual path back to normalcy in terms of Amer the American political system. I think it definitely set the tone for how he wants to start his presidency. Um, just given the chaos that was January, he was very careful in his word choice. Um, he obviously had a really good speech writing team behind him um, because he really knew all the right words to say. Um, so with that, we can kick off some of these questions. Uh, President Biden has repeatedly said during the campaign that he supports social justice movements and reforms. And in his address, he spoke of achieving justice for all in terms of race. Um, and he said that in terms of race, uh, it'll be no longer deferred. Um, what hopes do you have uh, of, President's, of President Biden's agenda um, in addressing injustices past and present? I think if, that, uh, if any presidential candidate from this past uh, cycle could uh, really uh, move forward social justice, I think it's Biden. Not because he's preached it his whole life or because he's the most diverse candidate, but as president, I think he's the one who can relate to both sides, the people who are very much uh, involved in social justice and um, are part of that community, and also people who haven't really been exposed to it. And I think he'll be able to build a, at least start building a bridge between those two people and hopefully uh, get to a point of unity where we can move forward on social justice and um, really use him as the foundation for that. I know for me, I'm hopeful um, for his cabinet positions and also in particular, um, Secretary of Education, maybe working on, you know, equity in schooling, 
Um, I think that a lot of the problems we have in other areas actually all harken back to, you know, education and lack of opportunity. So if there can be progress made there in terms of, you know, equal opportunity to, regardless of class, race, et cetera, um, there could be a lot more opportunity down the line and change down the line. Yeah, uh, in terms of race, I know that the president is very committed. He's spent a good deal of his life in Congress uh, committing to social justice reforms in terms of um, the justice system and race relations and also just like taking down institutional racism. Uh, but I know this past week he's been signing a whole bunch of executive orders that are tackling different issues across the board and not necessarily race. For instance, he repealed President Trump's uh, ban of transgender uh, individuals from serving in the military. Um, so that's a big step away from what has become the status quo and back to um, the status quo that we know from before Donald Trump made it into office. Yeah, going off that, um, there was a CNN article talking about how there are probably probably like 15,000 transgender service members at the moment. So this isn't just like a small issue. This impacts a lot of people. There are a lot of families that were hurt by um, former President Trump's uh, executive order. So this is kind of getting us back on the right track um, for equity and social justice. I think regardless of the action that he takes, especially within the first year of his term, we have a long way to go, um, both on, in the international community, um, uh, beyond our continent. Uh, President Trump did do some damage. Um, he, may, he did make strides in some areas, but especially with uh, trading relations with China and rebuilding, uh, trying to rebuild a lot of the allyships that he almost tore apart. Uh, I think Biden will have to really call back to when he was vice president and rebuild those relationships. In terms of uh, specifically Canada and Mexico as our closest trading allies, uh, Joe Biden has a lot of work to do. Mexico really, I think, was hit more than any other nation by Donald Trump um, throughout his entire campaign and presidency. And I really think that they are, they've lost almost complete trust in the United States. Um, and therefore, we really need to work, uh, work on trying to rebuild those bonds. I think Biden has his work cut out for him. I have to completely agree um, with everything that Mitch just said. Um, I think that our image was seriously tarnished, um, you know, both as a beacon of democracy with, you know, what happened on January 6th. It could be hard to argue that we can install a democracy anywhere else when we had what happened here happen. Um, that said, I do think that, um, uh, that Donald Trump also did just, in general, bring a lot of you know, shame and embarrassment to our country and definitely did break down allyships as well. So again, completely echoing what Mitch said, um, Biden's going to have to do a lot of work. Um, but I do think that he's the right person for it. I think that he can definitely draw on his time as vice president and try and restore some of our relationships and perhaps maybe bring America back to, you know, a little bit closer to where it had been in terms of our image. Um, so I'm going to be a little bit more cynical. Uh, when it comes to this. Uh, I don't know if the U.S., the American reputation abroad will ever fully recover. In the, and even if it does recover, it won't be in the same sense that it was, especially um, it's becoming more of an issue as we've entered the 21st century where presidents will 
try to undo the previous president's agenda just through executive orders. And President Trump did that with uh, President Obama's initiatives like the Paris Accords uh, or getting America to leave the Paris Accords. And President Biden just reinstated America's commitment into that. Uh, so it's a bit of back and forth and it's very turbulent, especially for foreign relations because depending on uh, who's in charge of the country, American foreign policy can just shift overnight. And it's not something that, it, it's not a good, stable, reliable um, source for any sort of like world stability or even American involvement in conflicts, such as um, we've been debating whether or not to withdraw from Afghanistan for over 10 years with different presidents uh, changing their commitments in that area which is just like a small sign of where we are on the global scale. Um, so I don't know if it's going to recover. And if it does, it will be different. I think that's a really good point. Um, we do have the party system, which does help us abroad a little bit. If you have one president, uh, that can be seen as bad, <laughs> I guess, uh, when you have a different administration coming in on the other side. Um, but I think you're right. There's still... Uh, it's the American flag in that area and people aren't going to um, just kind of forget what the United States did um, wherever. Uh, so I think that Biden will have that to deal with as well. Um, in uh, Biden's speech, he mentioned unity several times. However, he did not specify how his administration will unify the nation other than statements on optimism, dignity, and respect. Will this be enough? Does President Biden connect with the majority of Americans? I think at the moment that remains to be seen. I want to say yes, and I'm hopeful, um, but I do worry because it, January 6th is going to be a day that lives down in, in for me um, for a reason. And um, I think that I mean, I'm in a fake news class, politics of fake news class with Professor Mahashani this semester, and I'm helping her, you know, a little bit with the syllabus and like trying to design some things. But basically, none of this is new. This movement has been building for quite some time. And there is, I mean, Donald Trump didn't happen on accident either. I mean, he was elected because he was finally speaking to people who hadn't been spoken to and had been, you know, for lack of a better word, from their perception and whether or not this is, I mean, in some cases it is true, left behind. Um, so I still think there's a lot of resentment there. And then when you do, when you have people who are, um, you know, supporting or supportive of a president or a party go to the lengths that they did in order to show that support on January 6th, I think you've got something very deeply broken and divided. And I'm not sure how much Biden can talk to those people. That's not to say that everybody who voted for Donald Trump was supportive of or involved in. Um, the January 6th insurrection, but I do think that it's going to be a little bit harder and it's not going to be like, I don't think it's going to be easy for him at all. And I don't necessarily know how he's going to do it when we have a basically divided Senate um, going forward and how everything in the media, no matter what you consume, is just becoming so much more polarized. I think he does also have to balance um, bipartisanship and just moving forward with his agenda that he wants because he can go down the road of bipartisanship, but that could take a while. 
and the Republicans might not want to act with him right away. Um, or he can go through and uh, do executive orders and get things done that way. But then it could anger Republicans. So then he might lose out on that bipartisanship that he's been preaching. So it's, it's a really tricky situation for him because he obviously, I'm assuming, wants to get reelected or set up Kamala to get reelected. And her name is attached to him. So whatever he does, she's going to be right there. Um, but he has an opportunity to um, do a lot of good or he has an opportunity to try to work um, with uh, the other side of um, the Senate. Um, and I just can't see them being very responsive or wanting to kind of comply with the agenda that he has set out right now. In his address, President Biden mentioned plans to rebuild the middle class and establish health care for all. Such endeavors have met strong resistance from conservatives in Congress in the past. Will this damage the president's efforts in, to promote unity in Congress? I think it starts with messaging. Um, I'm taking Professor Furson's campaign communications class right now. Uh, and the point of our class is that we are basically lobbying for um, a topic that we haven't yet decided on. Uh, but he's talked about how it's really important to not just, uh, I don't know, put out information about your topic, but more connect with the people that you want to be convincing. And I think that's the case with healthcare um, because it is an absolute mess <laughs> in the United States right now. Um, and a lot of people have a bad taste in their mouth um, currently. And there are some people on the right who uh, were not happy with Obamacare. Um, so, and obviously he's connected to Barack Obama. So anything he does in healthcare, there's gonna be people that without question will just connect him with Obamacare. Um, so I guess he really just has to start with effective messaging um, to make sure that uh, whatever he does with healthcare is something that people will get behind. Um, and I can't see a lot of conservatives uh, agreeing with what I am assuming he is going to try to do with healthcare, uh, so he just has to make sure that um, he's connecting with the right people. I think with healthcare specifically, it's very challenging for more progressive candidates and uh, elected officials to convince conservatives because when I talk with people at home who are extremely opposed to uh, measures in Obamacare it's very much from the mindset of, oh, I can pay for my health care, so why should someone else, why should I have to pay for someone else's through my tax dollars? And I think we really need to build, rebuild the common unity of, well, if you benefit someone else through helping them get on their feet or helping them pay for something, then it's going to benefit our nation as a whole in the future when they can in turn pay for you when you need something. Um, and I think that that is the message that needs to be conveyed. We won't just say like, oh, healthcare is important, that's not inspiring but saying we want to help your fellow american and be and help your fellow patriots i mean though that word's kind of a bad one nowadays um i think that that's the messaging we really need to focus on in order to build that community around the uh around the issue yeah i completely agree i think too framing around um you know language to do with like covid too can help um because covid and you know like what we've seen happen to our healthcare system i know like it doesn't have much to do with COVID, but I just know in terms of like my mom 
has um, we've been covered, but my dad like qualified for Medicare in November. And so we were paying for Blue Cross like November, December, and January. My mom hasn't been able to get one of her prescriptions filled. She has COPD. I mean, it's a deadly pandemic. She really needs it. So we've been paying out of pocket over $500 a month to do it. Um, luckily, my family's in the position to be able to do that short term, but long term, that's insane. Um, and like part of the reason why she hasn't been able to really get anyone through and, you know, connect with someone directly is because everybody who is involved in healthcare right now is like completely, you know, sidetracked with COVID and covering people, you know what I mean, with like more immediate costs, not something as average as that. But I mean, if you kind of post it like everyday people are going to be benefiting from this, whether or not, like Mitch was saying, it's you or your neighbor, it's going to like contribute to like the betterment of the U.S. and get us back on track in general. So hopefully if it's framed like that, it could be helpful. But again, just in terms of Biden having to care to both sides, it's also going to be difficult because you have um, progressives who elected him and worked so hard in grassroots, like people and people involved in grassroots movements, um, you know, who elected him, who are really pushing for Medicare for all. And so it's trying to find that balance well, you know, appeasing conservatives, but also making sure you're taking care of progressives who actually helped elect you. It's really difficult for him. And it's going to be like that in a range of issues. Uh, one of those issues uh, that we've had to deal with recently is domestic terrorism and white supremacy. President Biden specifically called for an end to domestic terrorism, namely white supremacists, as well as the longstanding American tradition of nativism. What do you think of his rhetoric? And do you believe it was well-received? I think that the communities which received it are the ones who are not targeted by it. Um, if you frequent any um, even leaning right-wing media sources, uh, just take a scroll to the comment section and you'll see some of the people who he has been targeting. It's a very uh, ballistic terminology used, very uh, revolutionary. Um, but this issue, isn't new. This has been an issue for hundreds of years. Um, obviously, the Civil War occurred. Um, so this, uh, this uh, civil terrorism, um, specifically surrounding the idea of uh, equality, because that's 90% of the issue, um, I think really we, we have seen um, for a long time. And uh, I think that his messaging needs to really focus not so much on the people, but more so on the fact that you know, we blame Muslims for 9-11 and we tar and we invaded their countries and set war to them, but we haven't really done anything in the homeland to protect against people who are doing equal amounts of harm um, on a yearly basis. And I think that what his messaging really needs to focus on is saying, hey, um, we will take action and we will prevent this from happening um, with by any means necessary. Um, and again, I think that he just needs to appeal to the people on the right who aren't in that radical uh, fashion and just say, and get them all to agree that it is not a good thing. Uh, jumping off from there, I do think in terms of domestic terrorism and nativism as well as, um, you know, it's like new conspiracy, or it's not new, but this new movement towards conspiracy theories. Um, it's so dangerous, mostly because it's so accessible. Um, I mean, before social media, of course, you still had conspiracy theories. And even like earlier days of the internet, you had conspiracy theories that spread on online chat rooms and whatnot. Um, but now your average housewife can become rad radicalized on her couch. Um, and that's like literally what has been happening. You know, you have people who like formerly supported President Obama 
brainstorming capital and, um, you know, believing in something that they genuinely believe they've been called to like fight for. Um, so that's terrifying. and I'm not quite sure, um, you know, how we address that. I do know that I was reading an article today about the insurrection um, and the FBI or federal agencies have said that this investigation can be compared to like the last largest big event like for them, 9-11. Um, so not to compare the two situations, but in terms of like, you know, the different networks trying to see whether or not it was um, a planned assault or just merely, you know, a protest that went rogue when, you know, they're looking more into it and it's very clearly militia groups were there for a reason with the intent to harm or at least show, um, send a message to Congress people and to the nation as a whole. So I think just investing more in, um, you know, like study of domestic terrorism and um, right-wing groups in general, because I know that Donald Trump did direct federal agencies to divert funds from that and focus more on leftists during the last year of his administration, though right-wing groups had been growing more and becoming more, you know, more of a threat to the country and to, you know, people they oppose. Um, so I think just trying to divert funds and perhaps even intervention programs, especially in schools, um, regarding misinformation and disinformation, as well as holding social media companies accountable in any way that we can will be helpful as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm personally glad that in an inauguration speech, a president actually addressed um, a domestic threat, which they're vowed to, you know, defend the Constitution from. Uh, so that was the only thing. Yeah, that was one of the only times I've actually noticed a president say something like that and also to specifically call out nativism which has been around in the mainstream since the 1830s so i've been waiting for a while uh to see the end of that um also domestic terrorism is also is just a semi-complicated subject only because what qualifies someone as a domestic terrorist and especially uh in, in, in most recently, probably like the last 15, 20 years, it's mostly been, in terms of like domestic terror, it would be mostly radicalized people like through the internet, like that joined ISIS, like through Twitter or another terrorist group like that from overseas. And they would be labeled uh, domestic terrorists, but most cases would be like, it's because they're radical Islamic terrorists and not actually just um, white supremacists, which is has been around forever, but no one's really taken the time to uh, is, uh, identify that as like a major, um, not enemy of the state, but definitely like a threat to American democracy and government. Yeah, I remember in a few of Mahajni's classes, I know in the terrorism class that we took and another um, U.S. foreign policy class, I believe, uh, we talked about white supremacy in the United States. And I remember her showing us, uh, they do like an annual report from the president's office on like the most pressing issues. And um, for 2018 uh, with Trump, I remember he had a whole section on terrorism and the Islamic terrorism uh, went on for pages and pages. And then there was like a tiny little footnote at the bottom saying, oh, white supremacy might be a thing too, by the way. <laughs> Uh, so it is, as Leo said, kind of weird to see a president actually talking about this. 
um, because it has been going on for so long. And the problem with it is that it could be your neighbor, it could be <laughs> someone in your own family saying things, even if it's not to the extent of storming the, cap uh, the capital. Um, but we've, we've still had these underlying tones of white supremacy that nobody really wants to address. Um, so Biden could do a lot for um, this going forward if uh, he does more than just talk about it. Uh, to go off of your comment on the president's report, if you read the Department of Homeland Security's annual report, it's very clear that they take a very strong stance against white supremacy and that it is at the forefront of their mind, which was very contrary to Donald Trump's his entire presidency. So I think that's a very interesting point that you brought up um, and something that uh, I think the Biden administration will be focusing more on um, in a more uh, focused effort. Yeah, that, that is a good point. I also noticed that the FBI um, has labeled it as one of the most pressing matters to national security in the United States, um, which again is different from the rhetoric of President Trump as well. Yeah, you'd think that they would have thought of that when the Klan marched on Washington back in like 19, what year was that, like 1910, something like that. Um, you know, back in, back in the heyday uh, when nothing was wrong, apparently. <laughs> um, so it's, it's good to see some changes in terms of that. Um, I would also just add, too, I don't know that Joe Biden could have done this in any other year but 2020, um, or after 2020, rather, um, considering, like, the national reckoning we had, I think, as a country or a lot of our country had on race. So, um, though, of course, I wish that we didn't have to have it. I wish it had been done in earlier, like maybe 1910, like Leo suggested. Um, I do think that, I mean, he sees this as a moment that he can push for serious change and trying to harness, you know, that momentum that came from the summer with all of the protests, um, you know, and then outrage over both George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and everyone else's um, unjust death. Um, so hopefully he can kind of capitalize on that and continue to you know, move forward with actual like anti-racist policies and restorative justice efforts. And here's a self uh, fact check. The March on Washington by the Ku Klux Klan was not in 1910. It was in 1926. So I apologize for that discrepancy. Um, all right. And as we all know, uh, President Biden was once the vice president for uh, President Obama. And because of this, do you think that President Biden will be overshadowed by President Obama's legacy? Will he be considered his own? or merely an extension of the Obama administration? I'm gonna go back to my last point again and basically say I think maybe if you'd asked me before 2020, I would have said yes. Um, he might be overshadowed by Obama's legacy or seen as an extension of it, but I do think that we're facing problems. Um, so the Obama administration did too. I mean, they came in at like the worst, <laughs> one of the worst um, recessions our country has ever seen and the world has ever seen. I do think that um, President Biden has a really, really unique set of problems that he's going to have to tackle um, at a time that we need somebody, I genuinely like him to tackle them. Um, so I think he's gonna carve out a name for himself. I'm hoping it's gonna be a good legacy and I think that it will be. Um, it'd be really nice if 
he could be the president who vaccinated, you know, 400 million people instead of the one who, um, you know, had 300,000, 400,000 die under a year, during a year under his watch, um, like President Trump was. I hope he can be remembered for more than that. Um, and then also, I do think, like I was saying earlier about, you know, capitalizing on the reckoning of, with race in America, I'm hoping that he can be able to put in place, um, you know, more restorative justice efforts and just seriously work on anti-racist policies because genuinely it's not that hard <laughs> to just simply recognize that America has a race problem. It's in the history books, depending on which one you read, I'm sure. Um, but I do think it's become a little bit more of a recognized issue, not one that to quibble over as much as just like, yes, we do have a problem with race. Yes, these are the facts. Um, perhaps we can move forward with that. I don't think he's going to be a progressive dream, but I do think he's going to do some really good things. I agree completely with Siobhan. I think, Siobhan, I think that uh, moving forward, Biden will, uh, Biden would have been looked very much as just, oh, the vice president from 2008 to 2016. Um, I still catch myself on occasion thinking about him like that. But especially coming in and being able to defeat one of the most ardently supported presidents, not necessarily widespread support, but definitely with one of the strongest bases in, the, uh, in all of American politics, I think is a, is a feat that he will go down in history for. And again, as Siobhan said, I also don't think he will be a pro, uh, progressive dream. I think that he will be um, that moderate who allows for the Democratic Party to really find out who they are and moving forward to also try and get the Republicans um, in their time of transition while there's kind of a civil war between um, the pro-Trumpers and the anti-Trumpers to see how many of them want to jump on board, especially with social justice issues, because it isn't that hard. And, it's, uh, and I think that the focus will be greater, the focus will be stronger. And I really hope that he will see success on his own and also not just be a springboard for Kamala Harris, because that would, I think, ruin his legacy um, greatly. Yeah, I remember back in the Democratic primaries, uh, there was one of the debates where everyone was just going at Biden. And uh, I remember Pete Buttigieg saying, like, come on, man, when are you going to stop saying my friend Barack? When like, he's like, you got to move away. He's like, you got to move on. You got to like carve out a name for yourself. Um, and I think you guys are right. He does have a certain... Um, task ahead of him uh, that would allow him to do that. Um, I think just the mask mandate is like such a basic thing that um, just sets him apart from Trump. Uh, so I think if he can get COVID under control, that's going to be huge for his legacy because that's something that, I mean, everybody wants to go on cruises again. So, <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, I think he has a lot cut out for him. Um, but only time will tell. And I think if he can do some of what he has on his plate, I think he, I think it'll be a success. Uh, obviously, like, there's no way he's going to be able to do everything um, during his time. Um, but I think if he can be kind of like that moderate hand kind of guiding uh, the White House forward, I think that, yeah, I think he's going to be looked at as positive. And I think it, it still is weird calling him president and not vice president. Um, but I mean, I think that'll, that'll go away soon. Yeah, I think uh, President Biden will make a name for himself. I don't know if he 
because he's definitely not the progressive stream, but I do think that's what we need is just someone who won't push the boundaries too far. And personally, I, I still think the dream team should have been uh, Biden McCain, but um, unfortunately, uh, Senator McCain passed away. So, you know, maybe in an alternate reality, but you know, that just like those figures of centrality, I think are what we need, especially during the changing times that we're living through right now. And I think uh, Biden will succeed in not all of his endeavors, but definitely in trying to maintain the status quo that we've seen in the past. Going forward, uh, with President Biden being the oldest individual to serve as president of the United States at age 78, do you guys think he's going to run again for a second term? Um, If not, do you think VP Kamala Harris will succeed his um, succeed him, and uh, do you think she'll have the support um, that he has? God, I hope not, for his own sake. Um, I have said over and over again, um, even though I've been rebuked by certain professors <laughs> for saying, I kind of feel bad that Joe Biden has to be our president. I want him to be able to relax and be with his grandkids. I wish he would have, you know, run in 2016, even though, of course, he was still grieving the loss of his son. Um, I kind of just wish he could have had one and done already. Um, that said, I do think he's perfect for this moment. I literally don't know who else could do this. And I was a Bernie girl. So like that takes a lot for me to say. Um, but yeah, in terms of Kamala Harris, um, I think it's going to really depend on how she ends up being perceived throughout um, the presidency. I know we've already kind of gone back to um, like the tan suit-esque um scandals at this point we're not seeing like crazy reports about donald trump paying off porn stars but you know seeing some more mild things happening that said there's a lot of sexism that goes into people already disliking kamala harris i've heard women men alike um you know gender non-conforming people not like her um for a multitude of reasons but at the end of the day you can really tell a lot of it is um a little bit sexist so i'm not happy with her record on criminal justice i do think she gets a lot of flack and gets kind of portrayed as the angry black woman um a lot that kind of trope a lot so i'm i wouldn't mind the president harris at this point but granted we're only how how many days into the administration so it's really going to depend on what her role ends up being in the biden administration um how she's able to carve out support um, I don't think that Joe Biden's going to run again. I would be really surprised if he did because he'll be 82 by the end of his term and it would put him at 86 at the end of the second, which you need to retire at that point. Like, go play with your grandkids. Um, but also, well, it'll be interesting to see whether or not her support grows or wanes. Um, and I think she's going to probably try and play it based on that. I do think she definitely wants to be president. Um and I don't necessarily know if, you know, lack of support will deter her because once she has the status as vice president, it does give her a bit of a leg up. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. I I would hope, though, if she does end up, you know, not being received as well um, for whatever reason that she does wait um, because she's, I think she's in her 50s, but she has some time. I mean, we've seen how old our majority leaders are, too and the Speaker of the House and the President Pro Tempore, they're all in like their 70s and 80s at this point. So she's got some time left in her political career. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how she goes. But I don't think that President Biden will run a second term, at least I hope not. 
I think in terms of Joe Biden running for a second term, I couldn't agree more. Uh, he is very old, uh, which is not a secret to anyone. That's what Donald Trump, who isn't much younger, uh, used as a lot of his, uh, his attack ads, sleepy Joe Biden talking about um, he won't be able to remember anything, which obviously isn't true. Um, but I think Joe Biden, he will probably only be a one-term president probably for uh, the better of his health. Um, but I don't know if Kamala Harris will be able to win re-election. Uh, I think there is far too much sexism, far too much racism, and far too much nativism, as we spoke on earlier, um, for people to really, uh, for a lot of the suburbans who really helped um, the Biden uh, campaign this, uh, this past election cycle win. I think that we really will need to see an even greater um, shift in just our national identity towards social justice. If she does run again, and if she does win, um, and I hope that she does a great job over the next couple of years to uh, really set herself up for that, I think it would show that our nation has come far under the Biden administration, which returning to his legacy, I think that would be one of his greatest achievements. He would have set up the nation to a point where they elected a African-American, Asian-American woman as president. And uh, so we'll have to see, but we have four years um, and plenty of time to uh, figure that out. Yeah, I have to agree. The, the world could be completely different um, when it's time for whoever to run. Uh, but I think with Kamala going back to her record on criminal justice, you know, that is like a blemish on um, her going forward. But most politicians have something that isn't, you know, the most ideal to have on their records. Uh, Mayor Pete was hit with a lot of that um, during uh, his campaign. Um, and pretty much all of the Democratic candidates had something that people could turn to and say, well, hold on, like, what happened here? Uh, so I think if she does a really good job, it'll definitely help her case. And like Mitch says, it could be the crowning achievement of the Biden administration to have a world where she could uh, run. Um, <laughs> Siobhan just put in the uh, chat, except Bernie Hart, he's perfect. All right, all right. <laughs> Not perfect. No, but, I know. <laughs> you know, I mean, out of everyone, you don't have a picture of someone, you yeah, know, any absolutely. other Democratic candidate getting arrested at an MLQ yeah. or a civil rights march, that's all. You know, I know, I know. <laughs> I just thought, I just thought everyone should hear it. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I mean, only time will tell. I think that she definitely could do it. Um, it really just depends on uh, how she performs, how she's perceived, um, and it, uh, also who the Republican candidate is going forward. Or if we're in a four-party system by the time we get to the next election, who knows? Because things keep splintering. So. Uh, there's, there's a lot of unknowns right now. Um, maybe we'll do a uh, four-year look-back podcast during that time. Yeah, those attack ads against Biden from the Trump campaign were pretty, pretty good. Like, there was, there was one where it was, it was perfectly timed, too. It was on during The Walking Dead, and it called Joe Biden a zombie. It was great. It was uh, it was the perfect ad, and I have never seen anything like it before, and I probably will never see anything like it ever again. Um, but in terms of just like the current vice president Kamala Harris, I personally didn't like her. Um, I felt she was too liberal uh, for the country to like accept as like a stable leader, I guess. 
a stable figurehead. And personally, I was either a Bernie or a, a Mayor Pete person, but I had my own hangups on both of them also. So it's kind of like in the middle. Um, yeah, I don't know what will happen to the party system. I hope it goes multi-party because I love multi-party systems. They're awesome. I think we should have converted to that a long time ago. Um, we almost did it with Bull Moose. Didn't really catch on after that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's all, about all I have to say on that. Leo, if you had the opportunity to, would you want us to also institute a prime minister instead of a president? Okay, no, because that'd be so wonky in like in our political system like i don't know how like we would have to restructure everything for that but it's just like could you imagine if it's like for a prime minister we had like the speaker of the house but like adjacent to the speaker it was a prime minister and it was just like or a prime representative that would be it but uh <laughs> wow crazy times well Thank you guys for coming on. Uh, this was really fun. Nice to see everybody back on campus, uh, safe and enjoying their last semester. Besides Mitch, still have a few more. Um, but yeah, this was a lot of fun. Uh,